On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, Mel Raines, the president and chief operating officer of Pacer Sports and Entertainment, she makes her first appearance on the podcast. We discuss the over $360 million spent on upgrades to and around the Fieldhouse, what the new setup is like, and what you can expect. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, today, October 4th, is a notable one for those over at 125 South Pennsylvania Street. It marks 500 days until Indianapolis hosts the 2024 NBA All-Star Game. Long overdue. It's been, what, 30 years or so here. And more than that, it was supposed to go down in 2021, but yeah, thanks, pandemic. Anyways, on Monday, a press conference was held inside the newly renovated, again, Gamebridge Fieldhouse with so many chairs, the mayor, CEO, Rick Fusen, and many others. For me, it was great to see Tamika Ketchings back around again. She's serving as a co-chair for Indy's All-Star Game, by the way. My guest this week on the podcast is Mel Raines, and things don't let up for her Anytime soon, just as building construction is completed in the coming months, there's the Bicentennial Unity Plaza outside just north, plus a new entertainment site just northeast as well. Oh, by the way, she's the president of the host committee for that all-star game I was referencing coming up next season. But before our conversation, a few things about Pacers training camp over the last week. We're now seven practices in, and for me, the most notable thing has been that they've all been closed entirely to the media. That's the case for the first time in my 11 seasons covering the team. We haven't seen one play, one scrimmage, drills, stations, anything like that. Only have been able to see players shooting on their own and shooting drills after practice. It's noteworthy for sure that that's kind of the change here. Not exactly sure why. A lot of youth Uh, The young players trying to maybe perhaps keep the focus there, uh, keep it more private. Certainly that's become the trend in sports world as a whole. The negative side is it provides less insight on this current roster. We have to lean more on what we're told and and, and those others um, that I've talked to. A couple main players that stick out, and this goes beyond a couple of the obvious, like a Tyrese Halliburton. The two names, Andrew Nemhard and Terry Taylor. Guys can't shut up about these two, about the way they're playing, their toughness, how much they have improved, and what you might see out of those two this year. Nimhart, first pick in the second round this year. Terry Taylor, undrafted last year, and now back with the Pacers for year two. And uh, I know Rick Carlisle and others, big believer in his and what he can provide and will continue to provide for the team in this kind of positionless basketball. What is he? That's kind of the running joke because no one is exactly sure. Plays more like a center, but agile like a forward, can defend any position. Look for those two. Uh, I've also been really impressed with, from what I have seen, the shooting Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Aaron Neesmith. Those three have really shot it well from outside when they're going around the world, trying to hit five shots in each of the five spots around the York. If they hit at least 20 of 25, they go ring that bell. Those guys, I can almost count on writing down on my notes every single day. So Halliburton healed and Neesmith. Very curious what we see from him. He'll be running with the second unit. The starters thus far 
have looked like Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Buddy Heald, Jalen Smith, and Miles Turner. Three are known. The Duarte, Buddy Heald were less so. There was some thought, maybe that's Benedict Mather, and I think they're going to make him earn it, and eventually he will be a starter, but it doesn't feel like it from the outset, at least to begin these preseason games, and T.J. McConnell running that second unit. Um, so that will be interesting to see as well. Good to see him back from injury after, remember, he missed most of last season with that wrist injury to his shooting hand, which is makes that all the more difficult for certain. Staying with positive things, it's been notable, too, that there really hasn't been any significant or noteworthy injuries where guys are missing time, guys go down, guys, um, like in the past, there there have been issues in camp to Goga, to Glenn Robinson the third. Edmund Sumner even before camp. So far, almost everybody is a full go. Gogo was not for the first couple days. He is. Jalen Smith seems to be full go. David uh, from Lithuania. They say just call him David. Uh, he, he was slow out of the gate just because of an ankle injury suffered at you know open runs here at the Pacers uh, the week leading into camp. But he seems fine shooting when we're out there and seems to be doing more as well. I'll be really curious to see what he looks like on the court shooting the ball because he's also shot it really bell really well rung the bell many different times uh what to expect here from the preseason four preseason games two on the road then two at home next week well rick carlisle plans to take these games seriously uh, give guys key minutes not just like you know play tyrese five minutes and then he's good no he wants them to experience it play together try to build a lot on that chemistry um and he also though wants to go deep on the roster, mean playing a lot of guys, giving them opportunity, seeing how they can contribute, seeing different combinations. His thought is with such a young team is that they can't take shortcuts, that they need to value this time. And so do not expect starters to be held to, say, 10 minutes, for example, in these preseason games. Now, hopefully they don't play 35 minutes, but it's probably 20, 25, uh, several runs, playing in both halves, those sort of things. Uh, we want to see these different lineups and combinations. After the first few days, they've mixed it them up and, and matched guys with different groups and seen what those combinations look like over the last three practices since the weekend. Um, the three main things that I'm looking for, how has Tyrese improved? What kind of leadership has he taken on? What does Miles Turner look like? Remember, he hadn't played in a game since January because of that stress reaction in his foot. So what does he look like? How does he look and play with Tyrese Halliburton? And also, how is he featured, if at all, with Demonis Sabonis not here anymore? Remember, Sabonis was traded after Miles got hurt, so Miles hadn't played as the solo big either. Now, Jalen Smith will be in there. Isaiah Jackson will get a lot of opportunity. They're very high on him as well. But I'm very curious to see what Miles' attitude and performance looks like, even though, yes, it is just a preseason game. Even he was saying here today after practice that, yeah, it feels a little bit differently and you don't take it for granted as much because he just wants to get back after it and play once again. One player you will not see as a newcomer, that's Daniel Tice. He was acquired in that deal with the Boston Celtics, essentially moving on from Malcolm Brogdon. He'll be held out uh, at least for one game, probably more. After he really didn't have an offseason. He was with the Celtics through the NBA Finals, so that's into June. Then he played games as of like a couple weeks ago with Germany in Eurobasket. I think that ended like September 20th. So he's not very restful. Um, he's been in town, you know, 10 days. His family is just now getting here. 
Um, I'll have a one-on-one conversation with him this week. It was good to talk with him and get to know him a little bit. It's a little bit of an awkward situation. That's my viewpoint in that he really doesn't fit here. There's three, four centers in front of him in terms of the future. He's more of a veteran now. He's got several more years under contract. He wants a winning situation. He loved it in Boston, was stunned to be traded. Would probably like to go back there. But here he is, and he's going to try to make the most of that situation in the meantime. But I wouldn't expect him to finish the season here. Uh, It wouldn't make sense for either side. Um, And lastly, just kind of there's a sense of optimism, a sense of direction finally, I think, with this Pacers team. While there's also an understanding that things will be tough at times. There might be some ugly games. But what does the defense look like? That's all they've really focused on in training camp and that's a good thing because it was atrocious many times last year and especially the last couple of months last season yes miles was out yes tj mcconnell was out but there's a lot more to it and it starts with the individual defense guys owning their assignment handling their guy and not just being like eh, yeah miles is back there i'll be good no it starts with individual defense and then i'm curious just to see individual growth from so many of these players there's just 18 they could extend it up to 20 you can bring 20 guys to camp. I like that they didn't. I think it's better that they didn't. They can focus more on their guys that really have a future here. And on top of that, if a guy gets waived elsewhere, they can pick him up. They could sign one guy to a two-way contract. They could sign another guy to a, a camp deal. I think that's smart. I've been calling for that for several years, and I'm glad that's what the front office elected to do this year. So Wednesday, Pacers play at Charlotte. Get this, that's the only game between two NBA teams in the preseason that is not televised. There's one other game that is not scheduled to be televised. That's Maccabi Rahana. I know I botched that, but that's coming up on Thursday. The Trailblazers playing them. That's not scheduled to be on TV in Portland in this game, not televised by the Pacers or the Hornets. So that's unfortunate. And so the next opportunity for fans to potentially see this team would be Friday as the Pacers play at the Knicks. Then they could see them in person Sunday when Fan Jam, remember it's free, but you need an online mobile ticket. You need to register for that beforehand. But highly suggest Fan Jam on Sunday. I've gone every year for the last decade plus. Highly recommend, especially if you got young kids and it's not worth a $60 game ticket, right? Well, here you could see these guys up close. Get to know him a little bit. A lot of new names, new faces and such. See Rick Carlisle and the coaching staff. By the way, also take some time and walk around Gamebridge Fieldhouse. See the new Chick-fil-A. See the new team store that's now reopened and things like that. Um, no Colts game on Sunday, by the way. They play Thursday at Denver. So Sunday can be devoted for a couple hours to the Pacers if you're a fan and want to check that out at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. By the way, parking, that's taken care of. That's free at the Virginia Avenue Garage. More details at fieldhousefiles.com. All right, let's get into my conversation with Mel Rain. She was promoted to president and COO last year. Just tremendous at her job. She's at every single event, busts her ass, does a great job. And the Pacers, they're very lucky to have her. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mel, thanks for joining me, first of all. And the primary thing I wanted to discuss with you here today was renovations. There's so much that's been going on with the Fieldhouse, not just this summer, this year, but the last three years. Um, to start out, what's the general update on how things are going and uh, maybe what the next month entails as we gear up for opening night? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Scott. Um, it's nice to nice to be on. Um, we are wrapping up phase three, which we've been waiting on uh, for <laughs> for three years. And our first show is on October 2nd. We've got a, a big crowd coming in for Post Malone. And then, of course, Pacer season is right on the heels. So we are cleaning up the building right now in earnest and ready to to have crowds back in. Our punch list, which anyone who's done a construction project knows, that's kind of the the tough the tough part is usually several thousand items when you're doing something this big. And we expect that'll take several months to finish out. But everything is is done and operational in the building except the new Kroger Sky Deck that is on the west side of the balcony. We took seven rows off the the top and are building a new double decker Sky Deck platform that we're really excited for people to get in to see. But that will take another couple of months. We had to build an elevator for access up there, mm-hmm. so that's um that that doesn't get done as quickly as I would like it to, and a few other finishing touches. So we're planning to open that toward the end of November, potentially early December, but hopefully end of November. So everything else is done and ready to go. That's fantastic. Better than I was actually expecting, just because you hear about all the challenges right now of, of construction workers and, and you know labor and lumber and whatever it might take to get this all done. I know uh, one of the key things the first year, I think, right, was because of the pandemic, maybe one of the blessings was it allowed you guys to get a little bit ahead. Um, I think the video board is one of the main things that I remember there. Yeah, the, we we certainly had a silver lining and got a little extra time in that 2020 uh, when the season got pushed back to December. And then what we did is we bid phase two and three back in the fall of 2020. So everyone who's worked on the project since early 2021 has been identified and knew what the materials were. So everything was ordered well in advance. So in 2021, a lot of the things were late to come and late to get installed. It was a little bit more stressful going into phase three. Our escalators were already here. The elevators were already here. The seats were already here. So it was really a matter, to your point, of labor. And, um, of course, you always hit hiccups with any construction project. But this was probably the smoothest of the three phases. It was also the smallest scope. Um, And so we were just able to hit the ground running really quickly uh, in May as soon as the fever were done playing. And we were – we got about a two-week head start with – with having everything in and pulling out seats earlier and some other demo we were able to get done. And so um, we certainly had wished the Pacers would have been well into the playoffs last season, but we took advantage of the fact that they were not from a construction perspective. What are you going to do with yourself once renovations are almost done? Has this basically (laughs) taken up the majority of your time over the last three years? 
Uh, it's taken a lot of time, but um, the NBA All-Star Game is on the horizon, and so I'm the president of the host committee for that as well. So um, we actually, so the inside of the project is wrapping up. The outside, we still have to go until probably May of 23 is our projected ribbon cutting for the new Bicentennial Unity Plaza. And then we also announced late last year a new entertainment complex building we're putting on the east side of the plaza on Delaware Street. We're excited about that. Um, so that will not finish until the end of 23. So I'm not putting my hard hat away for <laughs> my a bad. little while. Still going to be in a hard hat uh, at times. So we still have a lot of construction to do. We've got All-Star starting to ramp up, which we're excited about. So I will find a way to fill all my free time. Let's get into some of the nuts and bolts. I love all this stuff. You mentioned elevators. I assume you're referencing the three bank elevators we're all used to in the entry pavilion that have probably been there since the very beginning, 22, eh, 22 years ago. Yeah. And then the two escalators going up. Any Any changes with the escalators? I feel like there was maybe something there. Yeah, in addition to the $360 million in construction, we also did $18 million in CapEx work. And that is really all the unsexy stuff that you never want to do at your own house, but you have to do. So it's, you know, the water heaters and the HVAC system was all upgraded. Uh, the ele- all the elevators and escalators are new. So we did some of them last year in the summer of 21 and the rest this year. I was actually on the three bank elevator for the first time today. We had to, It was done, but we hadn't had it on. We didn't want construction workers putting materials and things on it. And um, it's beautiful and it is quiet and it runs so quickly. <laughs> so um, the escalators, I have not been on, they're done and ready, but I haven't been on them yet on the sides. So all of those things too, just the bones of the building have all been upgraded as well. So it's really very much a new building that people will be coming back into this fall. I hope that chime still exists though from the outside. I think that's ingrained in my head from when yeah. you click in, it arrives, right? Like it Some does. of those typical <laughs> things that we're all used to. Um, to set fans up, because you got to realize a lot of these fans maybe have not been there since the pandemic. Maybe it's been since 2020. So they haven't seen the new video boards or the two big uh, bars that are right behind the lower level or that entryway bar, um, for example, to the very basic level, we got to warn people, right? It's all about probably get those points with your credit card. It's cashless. Um, It's all mobile ticketing. Make sure you add that. Maybe do your Apple wallet or whatever, just in case internet. I think the internet's been one thing that has been upgraded um, as well. I know that's been a big thing for Steve Simon for sure. What else are you warning fans about as they get set to start a new year? Sure, we're uh, we're working on a communication, preseason communication about those things. But I think um, every touch point, if you haven't been back since let's say March of 2020, when you go online, you'll see a new Gamebridge Fieldhouse website. <laughs> we obviously have a new name of the Fieldhouse. Um, we've expanded the bridge from the parking garage over into the building. So that's a faster entry point now. It used to be a bit of a pinch point when you would go through security. That's doubled in size. It's much faster. Um, you'll notice in the entry pavilion, you may not have been in there yet, Scott, but we have all new screens in the entry pavilion that will really, I think, knock people's socks off when they see it for the first time. I'm excited for that. We have a lot of new concessions, more points of sale throughout the building and more options. So um, I'm not sure if you went into our grab and go zip in markets, but we added two more on the balcony for um, the fans up there. So if you are just looking for a quick snack or a drink, you can really quickly get in and out of those and not stand in the longer lines for people who are looking to buy more substantive food. Uh, we're adding another Ben's pretzel, which is one of our most popular 
uh, food items on the balcony. So we'll have two areas that you can get pretzels. Um, we have a few other uh, partners coming in. Chick-fil-A, of course, was added I was going to mention that one. South That's a big End. favorite. I mentioned that on the radio this morning, and that was a 30-second segment. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very, that's been very popular. And I I think in general, we've been able to move um, points of sale and really destinations around the concourse. It used to be everything was on the east and the west sides of the of the building. And now we really have options north, south, east and west to spread people out to give you different things you may want to get and, and different ways to stand and watch the action. So the Yingling bar on the south end of the main concourse across from Chick-fil-A, you can get a beer with your meet your friend, stand and watch the game for a while and then go back to your seat. And we have areas like that on the balcony as well and on the creek vault level. So we just have a lot more options for fans of every age and and whatever you may want to do, whether that's a premium experience downstairs or just to be able to go up top and see the game in a completely different way. The Kroger Sky Deck has a, a phenomenal view. You're re- really almost level with the catwalk <laughs> looking down. And I think if you're a student of the game, you really see the game unfold in a different way from up there. Yeah, usually that's only photographer Matt Krieger probably crawling up there and doing that's the shots true. no one else wants to get up there. But it kind of reminds me, like the zone, the, the Colts have it over there. I would assume it's something kind of very similar. You see the, the skyline because it's on the west side of Gainbridge Fieldhouse. Right. And that's probably for maybe your more casual fan. You go up there, you socialize, you have a couple drinks, but you're also at the game. And it's another way to probably involve more fans at those games. Yeah, absolutely. I think fans are going to get up and move around the building a lot more than they used to because there's a lot more to see and places to see the action of the game or the show that they may be at or the event that they may be at um, than we ever had before. And so I think the days of sitting, go, coming, sitting in your seat for four quarters or the entire event and leaving are probably behind us. People are going to want to get up and explore a little bit more. And I think we've created things for them to want to go see. To that point, I'm very curious. We talk about data and analytics a ton with basketball or football and sports, but behind the scenes in business, you're seeing whether it's probably concession weight lines or the demand for a certain product. You mentioned Ben's pretzels. I know that there's always a, a big line back. Uh, that would have been the like Northeast side, kind of by our old media seats right there. What kind of uh, maybe data has gone into all of this and, and more so in consideration with more fans wanting to maybe stand around and, and interact and be there, but maybe not be in their seat the entire time. Yeah, we had we had some fans involved in, in what we wanted to design back in the master planning process. We did focus groups with, you know, what would you like to see differently? What would you like to see added? Um, so I think we've done quantitative and qualitative. Uh, we certainly, our fans are not shy in terms of yeah. telling us what they'd like to see and, and, and what they'd like to see differently. Um, I met most of our events. And so I really do try to interact and, and meet people at the top of the grand staircase and welcome them to the building. And we'll often get stopped and Again, our fans are not shy about the the good or the bad and giving you giving us tips. And but we also certainly know where we're selling things. So where are we selling the most number of things in terms of adding additional points of sale? Or maybe we need more signage. You may be in a line here. And if you just go about 20 yards yeah. down, there may not be lines. And so how do we spread that out a little better, bit better, advertise where people um, may, you know, may want to, again, just 
a little bit farther down the concourse is another bar. You wouldn't have to wait into a line. And so some of that is the people part of it. Some of it is the signage part of it. Uh, we certainly know the times of, of when we get hit the most in terms of the, the crowd's halftime at any basketball game is always going to be the busiest. And so how can we be sure we're ready for that, whether that's in the team store or at any of our concession stands or clubs? And so uh, we do our best to try to to turn that as quickly as we can. And, and we know that uh, a lot of people will arrive 10 minutes before tip off. So how do we get them through security as quickly as we can, get their ticket scanned, having your ticket loaded in your wallet obviously goes a little bit faster. And um, people I think have gotten more used to that at every event they're going to than they did even two or three years ago. That all goes a lot faster. So I think, um, you know, it's it's communicating in advance and then it's it's responding to the data that we have. We also survey fans after every event. And so we have an, an analytics team on the on the business side and they do a good job of keeping us informed about what they're hearing and where we may be able to improve in different areas. One big question. This is a little selfish. When will that alleyway open up so you can go Pennsylvania to Delaware? Do we know that? There is no alleyway anymore. Will there that be is, a walk a way to walk across? Let's oh, say that will be May of 23. Okay, so we got a little bit of time there. You'll be able to walk through the entry pavilion, but not outside until until the ribbon cutting. Yep. How about the team store? That's something I know a lot of fans are are, are curious about. You've been able to sell online. When will they kind of take back their store? Yep. They open Monday on the, October third. We're excited to have them back in business, and we've added another uh, mini store up on the balcony. So we used to have kind of stand up st stands where you couldn't touch or feel anything. We now have a shoppable store up there, which is a little bit better experience for the, the guests coming. And um, the store, it looks better than ever. I mean, we, we did a full renovation. It, it did open last year. Um, we were able to punch list out the things that weren't all complete. Um, and I, it's been really well received. I think um, the size of it, it's bigger, it's more shoppable. Um, it feels lighter. We got rid of the big basketball that I know. was there. From a little the disappointing, build. though. That was hard to get down. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably just the, the traditionalist in me. I'm so used to it. But the yeah, next thing is to was... get a coffee shop. That's what we need, by the way. Well, we have a new coffee cart, Ooh, okay. a Java House coffee cart. I believe TJ McConnell is a super fan of Java House. So, so we may have a TJ McConnell special there. Um, so we, we do have that coming. And... Um, you know, one of the things we learned over time is that having a food outlet in a retail store, they don't, and a bar, that didn't all fit together quite right. Okay. So and I'm not sure we're going to bring that back into the team store anytime soon. But when we get the entertainment center built, we will have a speakeasy, a restaurant, full service restaurant, and an entertainment space um, for events, weddings, and business meetings and things also right on the property. And we'll have food and beverage out on the plaza. So we'll have lots of options, even when we don't have a ticketed event around the building. Another big thing in, inside, for one, the event level, this was a couple of years ago, but this is kind of the back end a lot of people don't see, but the, the rooms where performers and all that stuff was upgraded. I think one of the biggest and, and important things was rearranging where the fever was because you were able to maximize that space, their practice court right there on the northeast corner and give it give access from the street so when maybe there's a speaker in town or people can access the corridor or or whatever um how much have you been able to realize that space and then along the same lines it feels like those bars that you guys added on the event level those have been a big hit yeah so the we didn't really have much of a square footage add to the project other than moving the practice court up that was about seven thousand square feet other than that we were really dealing with the footprint of the building that we had 
And uh, that was a game changer when the architects, we looked into that with the architects being able to move that up, enabled us and moving the fever locker room to the old practice court site. All we had to do was move the floor up and paint the ceiling and change the lights. We used the same baskets even, just took them out and reinstalled them. And that uh, square footage gain allowed us to put the two sideline clubs in and moving the um, the star compound where the shows typically occupy the space to behind the stage, which is better for them. It's right off the loading dock and then they go right onto the stage. The shows raved about that last year. Yep. So that's just another great way for us to sell the building is the convenience of in and out. And it's a very high end, nice space that uh, worked really well. So everything on the event level changed locations except uh, the Pacers locker room. And what we call the central plant next to media dining, um, you may have seen the door propped open. It's sort of like the the little room in your house with your heater and hot water heater and all those is, you know, on steroids in our building. And if you were going to move that, you should just build a new building. So we didn't we upgraded the things in that we didn't change that. But everything else, the locker rooms were upgraded and changed. The officials locker room was moved to a new location. Sideline clubs, as you mentioned, media dining was upgraded. Hopefully you like the ice cream machine. That was well received Absolutely. last year by the media. We all appreciated that, yeah. yes. Yeah, so we really tried to think of every, not just our guests um, coming and sitting in the general fan set, but but what is our artist experience? What is the media experience? Um, you know, what is the experience of everyone coming? We did a holistic look at the renovation because this doesn't happen every you know, every five years, this is a, a every 20 to 25 year renovation. And the amazing thing about it is you're able to keep the integrity of the building and people are going to get in there and think it's a brand new building. And yet it's been around since like November, 1999. So it's been a little bit. Um, let's go outside because there's, a I think a lot of intrigue about what is going to be out there. Is the plan still for eventually the winter to be kind of uh, an ice skating rink and the summer be a, a basketball court, but along the same lines, kind of an area for people to gather, hang out, maybe an outdoor space for people downtown to have their lunch even? Absolutely. So the goal for Bicentennial Unity Plaza is really for it to be a community asset that is used all the time for a variety of events and really to bring our community together. Um, and I envision we, we will absolutely have ice skating. Um, okay. We're opening in May, so it'll be a few months before we can do that. We're looking into roller skating for the summer. I know that's uh, become super popular in a lot of places, and uh, we're looking into how to, how to do that. Um, but I anticipate uh, sunrise yoga and um, concerts and that, you know, more of a happy hour type concert, maybe with a, a singer who um, also plays an instrument and um, everything from maybe the PAL league playing some basketball games on the plaza to um, a farmer's market. I mean, we it's really flexible space. And so we hope to activate it as much as possible. We The public art that we're adding there, um, that will be the last things that are installed. One is a, a sculpture called Together, and the other is called The Sphere that will have LEDs. You can walk into it, and we'll be able to tell the story of the history of Indianapolis along with any other number of things. If it's FFA week, we may have FFA uh, videos in there. We will certainly have Pacer and Fever and other, other things about um, what we're doing in our building. But I just think... Um, what we hope when that plaza is done, that if you come to Indianapolis and you think, what, is, what do I have to do when I go to Indianapolis? What are the top five things? And I think people will always think of IMS and they will always think of shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's. I think they're going to add Bicentennial Unity Plaza to that list. Like I haven't been to Indianapolis if I haven't been there, if I haven't seen 
together in the sphere and the plaza and hopefully come to an event inside as well if we have one when they're in town. But we're, we really want that to be the destination in downtown. Yeah, and I, I can even picture it kind of being an extension or the focal point off Georgia Street as well, which has been outdoors where there's been concerts. And I know you were part of that Super Bowl host committee and, and really established that as a place to hold things, which is excellent. Um, and then the last thing, kind of the speakeasy, I think this is more towards uh, what Herb Simon is, is wanting over there. Can you kind of speak to what went into that decision? And again, um, when fans can maybe expect that to be completed? We we had always sort of thought the east side of the plaza might be able to hold, hold some sort of restaurant or entertainment building. And so as we were designing the redesigning the building and the plaza, we were, kept that in mind in terms of what went where and the thought of that. And then as we were looking into things last fall and digging into it a little bit more, more with Herb, he um, we had some options and we talked about it and he really wanted to add that. We, we think it adds a lot to the plaza to have that amenity right there. And so um, so he he green-lighted it, and we've been working on it ever since. And the goal is to have that done by the All-Star Game. So my sense is construction will wrap up at the end of 2023, and then we will um, you know, have January to kick the tires on it and be open by February. And I think it'll be pretty busy during All-Star Weekend is my guess, but I think it's going to be busy all the time. Um, we'll be uh, partnering with a restaurant partner that will be announced um, sometime in 2023, and we're excited about that. And um, I think it's just another amenity in downtown. A rising tide lifts all boats down here, and the more things we have for people to come to enjoy, I think the better. And this is going to be a great asset. And then it really makes what Washington Street to South Street right there. That that's kind of your big. It's not a block, whatever it is, yeah. an incredible Corridor. district if you will. And we've seen that, especially even if you go up to Milwaukee, for example, what they've really been able to do. So I kind of see shades of that, uh, that that you guys at the Pacers are able to do. Do you want to get into your story a little bit? Starting out, you're an IU grad like myself, but then getting into politics, then to sports, what kind of led to that transition? And also, where do you benefit now in your current role from that previous life? Um, so I, it was a bit accidental, to be honest. I, I was, uh, grew up in South Bend, went to IU, went, wound up in DC a little bit on a fluke, um, working for Senator Dan Coates, didn't study political science, um, but, but fell into it and really enjoyed it. I started out giving tours of the Capitol and I now give tours of the field house. I'm a pretty good tour guide. I think I, I come by it naturally after 30 years. Um, but um, in 2009, I had been working in the White House, and um, when President Obama won, I um, no longer had a job in the White House, uh, and so I was doing some political consulting. I knew we had won um, the uh, bid to host the Super Bowl, and I was interested in that and applied for the job, and um, I think out of about 140 applicants, from what I understand, I made the interview round, did a phone interview, and then and flew out and met with Allison Melington and she had a committee, HR committee I interviewed with, um, Caroline Mays, and uh, and and got the job. I mean, it was, I feel like very grateful that that happened, um, and I was given the opportunity to move back. And through that job, I was able to connect with sort of everyone in town quickly. Everyone was involved in the Super Bowl. I started in the fall of 09 and um, met Rick Fusen through the planning of the Super Bowl. And um, after the Super Bowl, I, I went back to politics to be Susan Brooks chief of staff for two years it was her freshman term and I had met her during planning the Super Bowl and she became a good friend and that was a great opportunity for her and 
and me, but I knew I wanted to be back in Indy and I hadn't found the right thing. And so right at her um, re-election, Rick reached out and said, do you want to meet? I've, I've got a, a potential opportunity for you. And we met and he offered me um, the original job I had here to run the facilities. And I said, you know, I've never done that before, you know it. And he said, he said, I, I think you've got everything it takes to do that. Do that. So um, I took a leap of faith. He took a leap of faith. And I think it's two promotions later and eight years later, it's I think it's worked out for both of us, but um, it was a bit of a fluke when young students ask, you know, can I, you have my dream job. Can I meet with you and hear your path? I say, you don't, you don't want to take my path. <laughs> you you want to go about this a little more directly, but um, I never thought I would be doing what I do with an MBA team, but I, I love it. And, and Herb and Steve Simon and Rick and Jim Morris have all just been incredibly gracious to give me the opportunity. Um, there's a lot about it that feels familiar to politics. Um, when you work for an elected official, you work for their family. Um, and so the part where, you know, ultimately we're a small family business um, and the Simon family is a great family to work for feels, you know, similar to working for Senator Coates or Susan Brooks or, or even Vice President Cheney. All that, that part's comfortable. I certainly have had to learn a lot about the business, but, um, but it's just, it's been great. And the, the renovation is just a passion project for me. It's such a great building. And I think we kept the spirit of it and we just made it better um and I, that kept me up at night i didn't want people to say you ruined this iconic building i think we just added to this iconic building yeah and modernized it and, and really glamorized it up in a good way i think that's fantastic it's funny to think 360 million dollars in renovations and what was it like 181 i think something yeah. like that to start but that's going to happen 23 years later yeah but. i would i would hate to think if we were bidding it now with inflation and construction what that number would be. Thankfully, this was all bid and and paid for before that really happened. Um, because this this could be significantly more than that if if we had if the timing hadn't been what it was. That's a really good point. So you got your start here with with operations facilities. Basically, if there was an event, you were running it, and now kind of doing a little bit of everything. I presume as president, COO, and making sure things just run smoothly. Yeah, so it's it's all of those things plus um, our our HR functions, our IT functions, corporate communications. So not the team communications piece, but all of our corporate communications, uh, our community engagement initiatives, and then trying to look holistically across the enterprise at um, you know company wide things with Todd Taylor, who's our president and chief commercial officer. So we're sort of in tandem trying to make sure we're you know, how do we keep and retain talent and how do we, you know, things that you think of from a broader business perspective, we've, we try to do a lot of that together, make re recommendations to Rick and, and Herb in terms of, um, you know, just direction for the general business. Well, from the outside, it seems like you've been crushing it. I always talk about when they talk about power women, I think of Allison Melanchthon. I'm glad you mentioned her. <laughs> Yourself, Susan Boffman is another one I know kind of well. And, and so I think you three are, are tremendous representations of Indianapolis and successful in your own right. So thanks for finally making your podcast debut. And I, I appreciate it. And uh, you'll be seeing too much of me here in the coming days. <laughs> well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate the opportunity. 